0: Hey everybody thanks for listening to Raw knuckles podcast please like, follow, and subscribe
1: so my question was to you, Chris <laughs> what would it have been like to to have a teammate like Terry O'Reilly because I know you admired him like I did as a kid but what was that what would that have been like for you oh, you know it would have been awesome
0: right someone that is a good leader, someone who shows up to play every night a great example of um what you know i like and i can't take credit for this but i like what um martin saint louis the coach of the canadian says that there's guys that play hockey and then there's hockey players he's a hockey player when i stepped on the ice i never backed down and i never stayed down And I was vicious, and I was malicious, and I don't care. I'm
1: alive. He's a freaking madman. Look at him town. To a- so, uh, Chris, one thing I wanted to ask you before we get on to the, now the the you know, kind of the tough guy questions is, I didn't know this till recently. You had the game-winning goal in uh, Team USA and the Canada Cup 5-2 win over Sweden.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, what,
1: what was that like? Well, um,
0: it was awesome to be able to represent your country, uh, especially a guy who um, played the game the way I did in in a international competition. To be able to get that opportunity, it was awesome. It was, you know, listen. I remember that year and Badger Bob. We we're playing Canada five times. I mean, they had Gretzky, Lemieux, Howard, Chuck, they, they, That. The team was ridiculously talented. Ray, Coffee, I mean, they they were incredible. And um, I remember Badger Bob saying, "You know, we need some. They got a great, talented team there, tough team too. They had talk at window clock. We're playing exhibition games against them. I don't know how many we had. And Badger Bob, I remember um, going to the tryouts, working my ass off, and I made a place for myself." And he end up cutting Brett Hull. Yep. He cut Brett Hull, kept me. And I remember Brett Hull come out and said, "Man, they keep an over me. But wow. Brett Hull was a fat fuck. That's why he didn't make the team. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Not wow. because Brett Hull isn't a great goal scorer, yeah. but he was a fat fuck. And wow, Badger Bob. Bad.
2: That's so how you really feel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: <laughs> that's it. That's how, I, you know, and, and then he's going to shit on me because they keep me. And um, I had three points. I had two goals and three assists in five games. Not bad for a plumber. And, and yeah, we didn't win the tournament. Uh, but it was just awesome to represent your country and get that opportunity. Badger Bob, I'm, I remember he sent Brett Hall down in Calgary because he was so fat. He came to camp. He was way, you know, and. It, you know, I give that guy credit for addressing that with him because the guy probably wouldn't have had the career he had. not I mean, he would have, but, I mean, he, he got him early. He got his attention early. Yeah. So, yeah, and I didn't like how he, he melted off uh, about me making the team because yeah. he didn't instead of looking at yourself and saying, here's why you he uh, make Have right? you come across him since he said that? Uh, I've seen him, yeah. I don't you care for him. You, don't, you didn't have No, I actually played golf with him and Chelly. I'm, I'm disappointed. Uh, <laughs> it, it, in uh, training camp. And, you know, yeah, he – anyway. All
1: right. I don't want to get going on that one. <laughs> Terry, okay. what, was the, what was the most you ever made as a player financially? Uh, about
2: 390.
1: And so in or- that time – I'm sorry. Okay.
2: Yeah, no. Uh, my first contract was like two way contract. If I made the Bruins, it would be twenty seven thousand, and if I played in the minors in the American Hockey League, it was eighteen or nineteen. It was it was short money. Well, back then, you know. Oh. You could, and um, then, like, and so
1: you said three ninety was or three something oh, like I said
2: that. About three ninety. Uh, that's my answer. to Whatever anything costs, <laughs> a silly answer. But I got a twenty-five thousand dollars signing bonus to sign my first professional contract because St. Louis had offered me a four-year scholarship to go to play play for their Billikens and and go to school there, and that was worth twenty-five thousand dollars. if I figured out what the tuition was for four years, and I told the Bruins that I told uh, uh, Gary Young was uh, scouted me and was trying to sign me. And I said, if I sign this contract, I know I'm going to the minors because they just won the Stanley Cup. So I'm going to be giving up $25,000 guaranteed in education uh, for $18,000 playing in the minors. And uh, without hesitating at all, he gave me a $25,000 bonus just to sign the contract to turn pro, basically giving me a scholarship up front. And uh, so I signed it, and started playing for the Boston Braves.
1: So, what was the highest you ever made? Was it like two seventy-five or something?
2: Uh, yeah, it was around two hundred.
1: Yeah. You know. At the time, was that good money?
2: Uh, it was, it was good for me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay. So, and Chris, what was the highest you were ever paid? Um, three twenty-five, I think.
0: Okay. that was at the end in new york i go
2: and talk to harry i think he owes me
0: some money well harry <laughs> didn't pay me <laughs> so
1: i don't think harry liked to pay anybody that's what i remember. that was in
0: new york yeah he was fiscally responsible
1: <laughs> Yeah, you know you both have you both have a tie to new york because uh, chris you said the most devastating part of your career was leaving the Canadians and you felt like you were, it it, it broke you. And then you end up in New York and then Terry ended up being an assistant coach there. But when you left New York, what happened? Why, why did you leave? And why did you want to be traded?
0: Um, I was snake bit there, but God, I hurt my knee my third game ligament. I broke my arm twice. I had a groin, that hockey hernia tear. How, how did you uh, break your arm twice? Uh, first, I went into the net in Montreal head first, and I got my arm up and I snapped it. Yeah. And then um, I was playing in a playoff game uh, against the Islanders, and um, I was coming through the middle looking back for a pass, and Ken Baum got in a stood up on me. And I went to get my arm up because I went to elbow him in the face as he was coming at me and he had his stick up. And my arm um, broke his stick, and I broke my arm again. Same place? So, right next to it. Yeah. The guy said, you'll never break this arm again where it calcified. Well, you'll yeah. never break it in that spot. But if you break it again, it'll be next to it, and it happened. So, yeah. And I was snake bit with injuries. Um, um, and I wanted always as a kid to play for the Boston Bruins. And I, I I, sent a little canary out to do a little investigating for me to see if I could get out of there. I was supposed to sign a new contract with Neil Smith. He didn't want to sign me. Um, he said, I'll sign you at the end of the season. I talked to him about it. He said, I can't do it, you know, the injury. I said, well, I don't want to play here anymore then. You did give me a word that we're going to do the contract. And he said, well, I'm in a tough spot. You've had these injuries. I said, well, I'm in a tough spot too. I don't want to be here anymore. So I kind of went back and forth. And then, um, you know, they called on me and I ended up, I remember I was up Vancouver uh, salmon fishing, and um, they called, my mother called, because there were no cell phones back then, but my mother called the people I was with, and <clears throat> she let me know. I had my dad there with me, and <clears throat> that I got traded to the bees.
1: And that was she at your hand. request, correct? Yeah. And what made you nice... want to go what, what made you because you I, I wanted well, fulfill my dream of
0: playing for the Boston Bruins. That's all I ever wanted to do when I was a kid, not playing the NHL,
1: play for the Boston Bruins. And, and, and yet you, you've said that you felt like a turncoat like you know because everybody was throwing stuff at you in the stands when you were with the Canadians and nylon sucks and you know all that stuff and then, and then you felt like, what, what am I doing here at one point? at least that's what you had said. But my
0: father't my father didn't want me to come back my father said, don't, don't come back here after the, the shit you went through. here." Just, and I'm at that. I always wanted to be a Bruin. Come on. And, um, you know, I, in, in hindsight, would I do it again? Yeah. Like I, I'm grateful that Harry and, and Mike, I know Mike had a lot to do with it. Um, brought me to give me that opportunity. I only wish it was when I was, 20 years old, yeah. Like when it all started, because I got there at the end. I was beat up. I was, I was beat up, and and you know, I I, I felt I still did my job, but I I felt I I couldn't give as much as I would have liked to, because it it was the perfect team for for me, you know. Yeah,
2: Andy, and from. For, for the rest of his life, he's a member of the Boston Bruins alumni, and that's a great group. To watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, have you ever a, played
1: with the alumni, Chris?
0: A, oh, yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah, when I was living back home, they had me. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. Uh, it's and a, a great it's a group, very group of guys.
2: Group. You know, yep. Frank Sinetti's running it now. Yep. But, uh, Nifty ran it for a few years, and Bob yep. Swing. And uh, it's a great bunch of guys. Super a bunch of, of guys. A lot of. A lot of Fun games and a lot of money raised for charities.
1: Yeah. And Terry, you had said that uh, towards the end of your career, you, you thought you stayed two years too long. You said you'd lost well, a step. And but I,
2: I'd blown my uh, knee out. It was a major reconstruction. Uh, all the ligaments and some cartilage. I I had a cast on my leg from from groin down to my ankle. It had a. The, at first, it was a solid cast. And after a couple of months, they switched it to a cast with a big metal hinge so that it could flex a little bit. But I didn't think, uh, I never got back to the speed I had before that injury. Uh, And, you know, at that time in my career with my age and the game was getting faster. You know, the game was, they were raining in the fighting and depending more on uh, speed You know, and that was, so that worked against me as well.
1: And then you, I think you even got hurt while you were getting rehabilitating. You were training so hard that you got a hernias from training.
2: That was, uh, I was training one, one thing that you do when you have a knee injury is you do a lot of those leg raises you sit on the bench and put weights on and you put your feet under the, the bar and lift lift your knees up off the ground to straighten your legs up. You're you're working on your quads. And, uh, but also is working on your lower abdomen. And I had a sharp pain in the right, right groin area, went to see the team doctor and he he said, you've got a hernia and, uh, we're going to have to operate on that. And then uh, I said, well, if you have pain there, does it travel all the way over to the other side? And, uh, he said, no, let me look at that. And he said, oh, you got two hernias. <laughs> so so they wanted to operate. I had already been in for a shoulder repair. Uh, and uh, they wanted to operate uh, on one hernia and have me come back in two or three weeks and do the other one. And that would have been three surgeries spread out over the summer. And the last one would have been very close to training camp. And I said, that's not going to work. I, I fix them both at the same time. They said, that's going to be very painful, and I said, well, go through it once. So they did the double hernia repair and gave me a little bit of an extra start at training camp, but not much.
1: And and one more injury story is that uh, I think I remember you telling me that you got into a fight with Bennett Wolf, and you pulled your uh, rotator cuff during the fight and you went to the team trainer doctors whatever they told you it's fine there's nothing wrong you played almost the entire the rest of the season uh and then the doctors said you were fine and then you went to an independent doctor and they said oh you've got a torn rotator cuff and the and then you got a phone call from Tom Johnson if you if if i remember correctly it's a long time ago that you told me this do you mind sharing that story
2: well the it was right around Christmas, the holidays, and I got into a scrap. I, I got my right hand tied into his jersey, and he was a big boy, and he, he shook me a little bit, and I lost my balance and dropped, and it jerked my arm way up here and tore the rotator cuff. So, but I didn't know that. I had the team doctor look at it, and he said, oh, it's just a sore shoulder, rested for So I missed three games. And then I came back, and you know, I said it's still sore. Uh, coach said, "Can you play?" I, said- I said, "I can play, uh, but it's I I can't make a rink-wide pass. I could not take the puck, and if I was over in the right boards, make a hard pass over to the left boards. And I said, I can't shoot. I can pass short passes. I can just use your
0: feet, Terry. Just use yeah, your I feet. Can't, <laughs> I,
2: can't, I can't shoot the puck." So if you want me to play with those limitations, I'll, I will play. And so they, they played me for the rest of the year. And uh, after the last game was over, I said to the team doctor, uh, Bert Sarans, he I said, Bert, this shoulder is still terrible, you know. So Terry, the season just ended yesterday. Just go home and rest it for a little while. Rest it for a month. So I counter, I put a... Mark on the calendar, you know, 30 days. <laughs> and it didn't get announced better. I called them up and said, Bert, this shoulder isn't getting any better. So they took me in and uh, scoped it to see what was going on in there. And while I was under, they had to really cut it open and repair it. So I, I, I thought I was going in for an exploratory surgery, and I, I woke up and Bird was there, and he said, "I'm sorry, Terry. I didn't catch this. Your rotator cup was torn right off." Oh. I, I'm heavily medicated. They've just opened me up and sewn this whole thing back together, and I'm I'm, I'm in a big splint where I can't move my arm. And uh, the phone rings, and it's on my right side, and I'm trying to get over there and answer it. How, how are you feeling? I said, oh, "Not bad. I just came out of surgery. I'm a little groggy." said, uh, Terry, why did you wait so long before you went in to get that fixed? <laughs> I, I, I was, I was uh, under pain medication, you know. I, did I hear that? I looked at the phone and it just was click. <laughs> you know, played the whole season torn up like that. Yeah. Kept saying, the day of the playoffs or, or the, the season was over, you know, something wrong, something wrong, something wrong.
1: Okay. Uh, Terry I wanted to ask you about um, Derek Sanderson and you've shared a couple of stories and, and we've read about them uh, about the incident in the locker room and uh, would you mind sharing that as well as your conversation with him after when he came back to the Bruins um, and had a long conversation with you if, if you remember that stuff but I do John you know <laughs>
2: Derek, Derek has come a long way back, and Hasn't I'm not he? sure I want to. You know,
1: well, it's it's in it's yeah. in magazines. It's in. Yeah. It's not like you're telling something out of school.
2: I know. Uh, we didn't get along, uh, and I was a rookie, and uh, I had a corn on. My, I had poor-fitting skates, and I had a corn on my big right toe. And I came in after the warm-up, and took the skate right off. And I put my right foot over my left foot. And if you ever see cartoons, when somebody gets hit with a big hammer, you go, it's going boing, da boing, da boing. You know, it was, well, my toe—I could swear I could see it just going up and down, like <laughs> it's screaming at me. And I've got my eyes closed. I'm leaning back like this, waiting for the pain to dissipate. And uh, Dan Canny is going around, Dan Canney, Ugh. making sure everybody has put their spare stick in the in the rack, because uh, you have you have to have a second stick ready during the course of the game in case you break one. The trainer hands you a fresh stick, uh, and he turns to Derek says, "Derek, uh, you're the only one that doesn't have a spare up here." And I'm sitting beside the rack with my sore toe in the air and Derek reached in front of him, picked up his spare stick and just slammed the end of it. And it spiraled through the air and landed right on my toe. (laughs) And I like a Jack in the box. I was up six feet in the air, cursing at him, you know, why don't you just walk it over to the stick rack, like a normal human being, and he Said, "Go puck yourself," and uh, <laughs> I crossed the dressing room in record time. <laughs> I him like a cat, and I was separated. Uh, Esposito, Hodge, and well, there's there's three guys that pried me off of him. Uh, so it was it was pretty pretty
1: serious. And then didn't and, he get up and kick you in the face?
2: Well, see that that John, I I really. Don't want to, yeah, he did. <laughs> he didn't have his skates on me. He, he kicked and split my eye open. And uh, I went in and got stitched up before the game. I'm getting stitched up. And uh, I'm sitting there. I was terrible during the game. I couldn't even think about the game. I was just thinking, gee, my career is, is over in Boston. You know, I started to fight in the dressing room with not just one of my teammates, but one of the teammates of the championship team. You know, I figured I'd come out on the short end of the stick with that one. So I'm sitting there after the game, sort of running through this, analyzing it. And I said, well, if I'm gone, I'm gonna go out, swing And I crossed over the room and drilled them again. <laughs> then they closed in and three or four guys are holding me back. And I said, Derek, you're not always going to have three or four guys to hold me off you. Whenever I see you, I'm going at you. you. know. And since then, we've we've patched things up. He has, he has done a tremendous job, uh, as you have, Chris, in, in uh, controlling his demons and making a comeback and speaking in schools and really, really become an asset for a lot of young people that are suffering from... Some sort of addiction.
1: So my question was to you, Chris: What would it have been like to to have a teammate like Terry O'Reilly? Because I know you admired him like I did as a kid. But what was that? What would that been like for you? Uh, you know,
0: it would have been awesome, right? Someone that is a good leader, someone who shows up to play every night, a great example of um, what you know, I like. And I can't take credit for this, but I like what um Martin Saint Louis, the coach of the Canadian, says. That there's guys that play hockey and then there's hockey players. He's a hockey player. And and to have uh him as a teammate would have been awesome. You know, especially in our in our era to have somebody riding like I'm just Going into Boston, uh, Philadelphia, and going to teams that had a few guys. Like, we had some tough guys on the team when I was there, but there weren't a lot of guys that fought. Me, and then Cordick came along. And then Shane Corson, tough kid who could handle himself. But John Cordick, when he came, honestly, I felt more threatened that I was – because the Canadians – you know, we didn't have two or three guys. Larry could take care of himself, and, you know, we didn't have any D-men that were really fighters. Um, Mike McPhee could fight, but, you know, he wasn't a fighter fighter.
2: How, how long was Lupi in there?
0: Uh, who? Phil's Lupe in. Oh, Lupe, I, Lupe was there my first year he got traded when I came. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a couple scraps with him. Yeah, you scrapped him a few times, and I was and with him. He was a good fighter. Mario could fight. Yeah. yeah. Mario yeah. could fight, but, he, you know. Bob Ganey didn't fight, but he was Never. a tough guy to play against. You yeah, he was really
2: hard. skater, played played the body hard. You right. know?
0: But Taz, um, yeah, I would have loved him as a teammate. But a guy like John Cortic when John came in, God rest his soul. Um, I kind of felt a little more threatened because I was getting a little bit older, I was like 26. Yeah, <laughs> and when I know oh, they're getting ready to bring a new you like guy. You don't
2: to be in? that old now,
0: <laughs> right? I know, really. God, 27.
1: He, he died from a drug overdose.
0: Uh, yeah, he was with uh, he was in Quebec City in a um,
1: I think we're um, losing
0: Terry. Yeah, we are. again. He's playing games. Okay. There he is. He um, yeah. I believe he was he was in a hotel room in Quebec City making noise or something. He just broke up with a girlfriend. I I don't know the whole story, but I think he um was drinking and doing drugs and the police came and I don't know what happened, but
1: was he a good teammate with you? Did you guys get along?
0: Yeah, I got along fine with John, but he was little John never wanted to fight. And, you know, he was told if he ever wanted to make it in the NHL, he had to fight. And, you know, it was no secret he was on steroids. And, um, you know, that shit make you crazy right there. You know, I don't know. Could he have done the job without the steroids? I don't know. Because that stuff does make you aggressive. Um, I've never been on it, but I know the effects of it. Um, And, Yeah. But, you know, he's a good kid, but he he struggled with it a bit. His dad didn't want him to fight, really. He didn't like that part of it. John, you know, he did it because it was his only path. Because, you know, and no no disrespect. It's just he he wasn't as good a player, you know, as other guys that could play before.
2: I don't know too many guys that enjoyed that part of the game, you know. Mm
0: -hmm. They did it. Yeah. but they, but they enjoyed. I enjoyed it to be honest with you I en- yeah. I enjoyed as long as I could play and I'm not going to sit here and say it, it was easy I didn't have a tough time with it I did but I genuinely and really I I really liked sticking up for my teammates and I know it was a hard job and everything and it got tougher as I went on but I, I I don't know, I just think there's something admirable, admirable about that when guys like you, like myself, and other guys around the league are able to defend their teammates and, and help guys out who who lack in that area. And Yeah, I agree with you, Chris, but it's very hard if, it if is. The, co- the coach chooses to
2: sit you uh, at the end of the bench. like oh, a that threat. way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, saying
0: that, yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. i i you're hate that to play I hockey. you're just go and be sent out when somebody's bullying one of your teammates and
0: yeah that's to me not that fun. you know that was i couldn't do things. it i i, I said that at the beginning i couldn't have i i wouldn't have played yeah. wouldn't have, i would have been they would wouldn't have been able to deal with me i wouldn't have
2: been a i, I, happy I, I fella. had a uh, one coach that uh treated me that way and i had a chat with him so
1: and at the time, I know Chris, during the playing days with interviews, you said you didn't want to take fighting out of the game because it kept you know it kept players honest, uh, no stick work, all the other stuff. But Terry, at, when you were playing, did you think it should be taken out of the game?
2: Not completely. Uh, what, what I loved about the game is you have, you have two players competing against each other so hard and so intensely. That they're willing to drop their gloves i'm not saying that they have to drop their gloves and fight but the level of intensity to play in a national hockey league is there a fight can break out any any minute any shift uh if you eliminate that completely uh i don't think you're fully testing the courage of the players. The the I, uh, I'm talking about all the players, the, the skill players that are eligible for the Lady Bing. They have to play in that atmosphere against some of the toughest, meanest guys uh, and how they play, how they keep their mind on their game and perform under those circumstances. I think it's, as a fan of hockey, I like looking for that.
1: And I in today's he, game, do you think fighting should still be in it for both of you?
2: I I don't think they should eliminate it completely because then it allows some really underhanded stuff to go on. I know there's three officials on the ice, but you can still get away with little butt ends and spears behind, behind the play that are only addressed by somebody's teammates, you know, so... That's
0: my feeling. Yeah. And I, well, I couldn't agree more. Again, um, those days, the guys sitting on the bench going on fighting, never liked that, uh, those stage fights, that stuff. But <clears throat> um, I believe it should stay in the game. Uh, I don't like the brawls. I never liked them. I'm glad they, they were able to curtail that and take that out of the game. But the 90s and 2000s there, you saw that, you know, a lot of heavyweights, guys that just, you know, they worked out to to fight on the ice, not play so those stage fights, kind of. And then now, I don't think it should be taken up for the, just the reasons Terry gave. You know, I, 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 it's no longer a tactic, uh, and I think to leave it in is a good thing because the rats will come out, shit will happen. And I I believe that intensity part where two guys are battling so hard against each other. They're so pissed at each other. Maybe one gets an edge on. Maybe one gets a little elbow in his face and pisses him off. And then he does it again. He gets mad and he finally says, you know what, we're going. And you settle it. I think that I like. And, yeah, I don't think we're going to see the other stuff ever come back. But I don't think they should ever take it out for that well, right. The
2: tough guys, in today's game, the tough guys have to be able to skate like the wind, because the game yeah. is so much faster now, you know?
0: yeah. And,
2: uh...
1: So, I got a question for you. We talked about coaches asking you to fight, but did you ever have a teammate come to you and say, hey, I, this guy won't leave me alone. Can you help me? Did that never. ever happen? Never.
0: never. Um, I never did. And, and listen, I think being a guy who does that job, if you're, if you're not aware of what's going on yeah, and not yeah. willing to take care yeah. of it yourself, then. The you wouldn't have to tell you that because. Yeah, be, you got a problem. You'd see it. Yeah, you'd see
2: you it. Know, it would be more likely to go up to him and say, don't worry about that guy, we'll take care of it.
0: Now, today, you may not see it because you're looking at a fucking iPad, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're on the bench like, well, oh, I hit the post. Yeah. right
1: yeah. and you yeah. guys were both both coaches I know that at one point Chris you had a you were an assistant coach under Jacques Lemaire I think yeah uh, and Terry you were the coach with the Bruins and then assistant uh, with Glenn Sather and uh, Schoenfeld. and what was that like for you Chris to be an assistant coach uh, was it hard for you to very hard and, and what was the I, reason
0: Cause... I took the place of um Larry Robinson two different. Personalities. I wasn't a defenseman, but again, you don't have to, it's not fucking rocket science changing D men. Um, but I don't have the personality for an assistant coach. Lemire, um, who I loved and admired and respected, that's on the flip side, the same way with him. And he gave me an opportunity. You know, we went over the systems that he has in place. And, you know, he sat down with me. I told him, you know, how would you explain it to the team if you had to do it? And I showed him what I do. And he had the confidence that I could. the players felt as though they had two head coaches. And, and, you know, a couple of guys, Danico, I fought. Then Stevens, I fought. Both of them didn't care for me two defensemen and John McClain and they were big devil guys with Lou and they, they made it difficult. <clears throat> and it was a year after Stanley cup and I'm not making, making excuses. I'm taking full credit for my inability to be assistant coach. Um, but it's that Stanley cup, you know, you win the cup and they say the hangover. Yeah. Some of those guys just didn't, didn't dig in the following season. They won the cup. They achieved something that was, I believe they would have never achieved if Lemay wasn't there. And um, they kind of quit on. him.
1: Would and, you have wanted to be a head coach?
0: Well, I did. I went down to East Coast Hockey League oh, yeah. and I coached there for two years. I got coached year my first year. Mm-hmm. I had an expansion team. I loved it. I enjoyed it. <clears throat> um, and the team moved from Maryland down to Jackson, Mississippi, and I didn't want to go to – Jackson, you got to be willing to just go anywhere. And at that time, I, I didn't want to make the move. I was hoping to get to the American League. <clears throat> and Pat Burns was the coach of the Bruins. Mike O'Connell was uh, GM. And Pat was really pushing for me for the job in Providence. And Peter Laviolette was also in the mix. And uh, Pat called me the night before and said, um, you're going to get a call from uh, Mike tomorrow. You got the job. So I was really happy. (laughs) And then I got called the next day, and um, Mike told me that I didn't get the job. Peter Laviolette got the job. And I'm there, okay, I got it. And I get it. He told me the reason he um, got it, one, they liked his coaching ability, but – um, the Ed Anderson, the owner of the Providence Bruins, um, Peter played down there, I think, for four years, and they became pretty close, and Ed wanted Peter over me. So I get it, <clears throat> and I didn't get that job, and, uh, and I didn't go down to Jackson. I just walked away.
1: You had said that uh, at, at one point you said you loved Jacques Lemaire and he was a great coach and you loved him, but you also said Mike Milbury was your favorite coach. Is he one, favorite? one of
0: my favorite coaches. Right. Lemaire was okay. my favorite coach.
1: And why did you like Milbury as a coach?
0: I just um, – and not because he put me on the all-star team. I didn't want him to. Let me preface by well, saying Why is not. that? Why didn't you want him? Because I didn't him? belong there. I didn't belong there. I wasn't an all-star. And, um, I understood why Mike was doing it. And, um, he had that respect. He named Brian Scridland, guys that, are, you know, I think kind of like Mike guys that work their ass off to try and stay in the league and get to the league and then stay there. I think he saw that and he admired that in players, <clears throat> but, um, you know, I liked him as a motivator and not that I had to be motivated so much, but other guys, I liked him, um, he understood the game. Um, he he um, was able to to you know go on the board and show you what you did wrong or what you have to correct. He was good with systems. I I really liked him. I liked his demeanor. I did. And a lot of people think I'm nuts. But... Well, Mike Mike's a smart guy. Yeah, he's a very intelligent guy. And, and a lot of people, you know, you know this about him that. I remember when, you know, that whole thing come up with Alan Eagleson and, you know, Mike was talking, hey, this guy, we want him out, blah, blah, blah. And everybody's like, shut up, Millberry, fucking shut up, you, you know. And he was on the money. Mike was the only fucking one who was on the money with that other than, you know, some other guys in Boston. But Mike spoke about it and everybody around the league was fucking bad mouthing him because like, he wanted Eagleson out. Hello. You you read Russ Conway's book? I didn't. But um, I've read I read the article and stuff. Yeah. They had in the Eagle Tribune. But have you
2: read that, John?
1: No, I haven't. No, yeah, it's a great book.
2: Uh, it's got everything that Eagleson did. You know, he was just in it for himself.
0: Yeah. So.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, and, and Ray Bork told me, I I got to meet Ray Bork with, uh, with Terry one day. And he told me that, uh, the best coach he ever had was you, Terry. What was it like for you as a coach? Uh, did you enjoy being a coach? Uh, was it hard for you being a player the way you played? Maybe having players that, that didn't want to do that, but you know, I, several players told me they really enjoyed playing for you, but what was it like? Uh, did, did you enjoy it?
2: I I enjoyed the learning experience. Uh, never learned uh, as much about the game as I did in that three-year period. It just Johnny kind was my assistant, and
0: uh, and a I, great I, I, assistant coach. at that, right?
2: Yeah, <laughs> and I I actually said said to John, you know, you're not my assistant. We're co-coaches, you know, uh, but he he knew the game, the technical part of the game. Uh, specialty teams, power play, penalty killing, faceoffs. He had a, a playbook with a gazillion plays, a, a gazillion uh, practice drills. And I was the, uh, I, I was the sort of the police force. Uh, we would talk about the way we wanted to play and explain it on the chalkboard, on the ice. John was a good teacher. And then I would say, does everybody understand it? Everybody understand what we're doing? Everybody nods and I said, okay, if anybody doesn't follow this program, you better have a real good reason. When you come off the ice and you didn't stay within our system, you better have a real good reason or you won't be getting back out on the ice. I was a disciplinarian. Then we had some successful
1: cut. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Okay, so I would like to, if we could, um, share my screen and start with the first scrap that you guys ever had together. No, oh. a couple of others. Uh, I tried to find the one that had the, uh, where you, you went after Peters, even though it really didn't happen that way, but there it is, the video is nowhere. So there's only a gif on Twitter that I found, but, um, I'm going to share my screen and then we can go down the list and then I'm going to ask you about each player. Uh, cause I know, for instance, you said you had Glenn Cochran, uh, you know, when you were in the minors and you cut him open and you both fought him since then. And then Terry, um, said the first time he ever really suckered anybody was with Glenn Cochran, uh, if you remember that. And so I want to go, I want to go Good. through those. <laughs> uh, if you guys don't mind. So let me share my screen. So this is the very first you guys have, and I think Chris, you were a rookie at the time. Uh, yes, I am. Okay, so I'm gonna yes, play this, this is the
0: one. I think I'll win the draw,
1: too. I, I don't think there was a draw, but here we go. Okay. I'll show you as cleanly and as
2: well
0: as we have seen them. So there's another indication why you should shoot more. Nylon and O'Reilly ready to square off. So uh, young Nylon goes with O'Reilly
2: earlier, it was Jonathan. Well, he caught O'Reilly a good one, but O'Reilly came back with some solid lefts, and so they are both going out and making a name. Chris Nyland, number 30, from West Roxbury, Massachusetts. I think it's quite a story that he's made it here to the Canadians. He made it, obviously, as a checker and battler, and he went toe-to-toe with O'Reilly.
1: Okay, so... uh... Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you, cause you, you've described, you said that that was the hardest you'd ever been hit by Terry. Mm. Um, yeah. It was. But, but well, I was more interested in the dialogue afterwards. I don't you were, I, Honestly, I don't remember what was said.
0: I, I don't know. I remember Terry in the penalty box going to me like this. <laughs> he pointed at his left and I knew he was a lefty. And uh, here's what I'll tell you. Um, I had fought Stan earlier, and then I'm there, okay. Um, and I remember both sentiment got kicked out of the face-off circle. And Bob Ganey went to go in. I said, no, let me go in. Because I, I I felt like, you know, I'll beat him on the draw, see what happens. And then I when I whacked his stick, he looked at me like, what the fuck are you doing, kid? And <laughs> so away we go. Now, I'm going to tell you, this was a turning point in my career. And it was a big learning experience for me. Um, one, my pride was fucking shattered when I got the penalty box. I um, I was bleeding like the blood was just pouring out of my head. I, I went at him. I threw that first punch, and then I knew he was a lefty, and I just left myself wide open. And when I got to the box, I thought about it and – whatever we said, I don't, I don't remember. But from that point on, I said, if I fight like that every night, I'm not going to stick around long. I'm going to end up breaking my jaw, getting my fucking teeth knocked out, breaking my nose, just something bad's going to happen. I have to use my head. And from that point on, and most of the guys were bigger than me, Taz and I height wise, you know, a couple of inches maybe, but, um, I knew he was a lefty, and from that point forward, I made a concentrated effort to know what every guy threw, where where his strengths were, and um, I would try and take that strength away at the beginning of the fight and then pick my way through the fight. Then I started being able to throw a left a little bit. I was better righty than lefty, but I could have the stun gun once in a while. And then... I started throwing uppercuts a little more. I, I switched things up. Those and, do the damage, the uppercuts. Yeah. Because you, know, you have a tendency in a
2: fight, you have a tendency, if you get take a couple of punch, punches, you have a tendency to drop your head. Yeah. And then you're you're open for that real whammy.
0: So that, that, honestly, that was a turning point for me as far as the way I fought. I said, if I'm going to last and do this every night or every other night or whatever, I have to use my head and be a better technical fighter. And um, that um, I, I, yeah. And I applied that. And you had, you had two life. or
1: three fights with Stan Jonathan. And I, I was surprised when I, cause I didn't, I never saw you as a kid. I moved from New Hampshire who I, I was a Boston Bruins nut. So you started after I moved to Arizona and there was no hockey in Arizona. So I, I really didn't get to know you till much, much later, but I was so surprised that you hung in there even with Stan three different fights, uh, and yeah. Stan was very tough. And, and yeah, Terry was, told me that uh, it, even though he worked. was small, he was as strong as any. He was as broad and as yeah. strong as any man in the NHL. And, and he his, had that- his waist face,
2: up, right? waist up. He was like a wedge, <laughs> very, very powerful, and. Uh, a lot of guys underestimated his strength and his toughness. I mean, if, if you punched him in the, in the face, then he wouldn't, wouldn't budge. He would smile. That's very disconcerting, if you're, you know, and uh, he just didn't slow down. So.
1: Okay. So here's another uh, clip I'm going to share. I think this is one of these where, let's see here. Oh, here's the one. Of the unfortunately, I don't have the video. It's more of a GIF, so there's no sound. This is the Pete Peters incident. And I'd love to get the commentary from both of you, especially Terry, after the game. So this is very brief, and that's it. So, um, Chris, what what were you? What happened in the back? I think it was. Uh, you know, Peters here's, did a lot of acting on that On that day. Here's but- what happened.
0: Pete Peters gave me the stick between the legs one time. And I let it go. I didn't do anything that time. And then he did it again. And I turned around. I said, I went by at a, after play in the zone. I said, do it again. I'm going to take your fucking head off. Fuck you. you know? We had the face off. We lose the draw, they get the puck. Boston's going the other way. I start, I'm going on the back check to go ahead of my defenseman, keep him behind me. And I said, you know what? I said I was going to fucking get him again. He he gave me another jab, the back of the leg. So the play's going up our end. I turned around, I said, fuck this. And I came back and I cross-checked him. And then, you know, he had a fucking cage on. It was not like he was going to get hurt, but I just making a point. And then I turned around and the thing is the play went on for a little bit up the other. It's like the bees had a power play because of me. And then all of a sudden I seen Terry coming and Collins was trying to get in the way. And my back is in the corner. I'm like, okay. And he's fucking ramming down the ice. And I said, I got to protect myself. I have my back to the wall and I know Kevin was trying to get in the way, but it's not like I, I, I had to throw a punch. He was coming at me and, I remember what he did that first game when he hit me, and I didn't want to get that again. And I'm going to tell you, my hand hurt for two weeks. I fought two nights later in Philadelphia, Dave Brown. I was like, my every bone in my hand went right up. It felt like right up to my shoulder. I couldn't hold my stick. My hand hurt so fucking bad. Um yeah, that's a hard head, too, you know? Yeah. I did
2: that with a few guys hurting their hands with my face. But... Oh, fuck.
0: <laughs> and, and listen, I it went down. I didn't throw another punch or anything. And, um, you know, I, I, I remember the next day in the newspaper, you had said some, there was something in the paper about you gave P.P. this shit in the room because you had told him to leave me alone or something, apparently. Well,
2: I said to him, you know, I don't know, I'm, I'm in the medical room getting sewn up by the doctor, and Pete came in, and, uh, you know, sorry, sorry, Terry. And I said, Pete, what, what started that? You know, like, uh, And he says, well, I gave him the stick. Uh, and I, I said, well, okay. Now, just keep in mind, for future reference, if you give the stick to any tough guy in the league, you're not the one that's going to finish the fight with him. What you're doing is volunteering one of your teammates to take that guy on. So I want you to think about that before you stick anybody again. So,
0: yeah, and you know, I meant, geez, I'll never forget that night. I just like, you know, shit, my back was to the wall. It's like, no, that was my. I love Terry O'Reilly. I, I mean, well, for coming in that
2: fast and hard, you know, I was out of control because I. Yeah. I saw, you had
0: to get there, right? Piece light
2: on the ice, and, uh, and so didn't. Uh, I threw caution to the wind. Skated right into that. That <laughs> that was a good punch.
0: Well, <laughs> oh, it hurt. Yeah, but you know, like, and and I say that because you no, know, I really had so much respect for you as a player and as a person, and what you were dealing with in your life too, with your son Evan. And you know that because I sp- spoke to you a couple times and not out of trying to soften Terry up because nothing's going to soften him up. It was out of true, um, you know, not empathy, but sympathy for the, 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 your son and what Evan was going through and what you were going through as a dad. And I couldn't imagine having to play the game and then coach the game And also have that on your mind constantly. So I had the utmost respect for you as a a human being and a person. I did. And obviously the way you played the game. But thank you, Chris. Away from them. And and my mother loved Terry O'Reilly. Was she mad at you for punching me out like that? No, she wasn't. (laughs) But. She was kind of happy. She
1: said, that kind of evens the score. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: he made you bleed, you made him bleed.
0: Yep,
2: yeah, yeah.
1: So, Terry, I asked Chris uh, what it would be like to have you as a teammate. What, what, what do you think it would be like to have Chris as a teammate? I would rather have him as a
2: teammate than play against him. You know, Same here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he plays the game the way I always felt that it should be played. Play as hard as you can. Defend yourself, defend your teammates, and uh, have fun. I think and, you, and you
1: both worked really hard on your your ice hockey skills. You both wanted to be players. You didn't just want to be a fighter. You really, after practice, uh, Chris, you were telling me how Jacques Lemaire would work with you and Bob Ganey would work with you and Larry and everybody else. And Terry, I remember you telling me the story that, Uh, Phil Esposito would grab you by the back of the jersey when you were skating in practice to say, hey, slow down, you're making us look bad. Um,
2: At at training camp, uh, a lot of, back then, in the day, I have to, you know, training camp was to get yourself in shape. Training camp was longer. Guys took it easier in the summer uh, as opposed to today. These guys are training, you know, 12 months out of the year. Uh, And I came at my first training camp. I came trying to make the Boston Bruins. They just won the Stanley Cup, so they had a good summer. So I'm on the ice when the coach blew the whistle to go. I was going, and the the veterans on the team, they were a little little sluggish. And I really – showed the difference you know if any anybody was watching i was going 90 miles an hour and these guys were going three-quarter speed so a couple of guys told me to slow down and uh, i i didn't answer to them because i didn't want to be disrespectful but i was thinking if i slow down i i don't make this team so mm-hmm.
1: And you you had one altercation and if there's more I'd love to know it but I think it was with Carol Vadney um, in practice uh, and I'll ask you Chris the same thing but aside from Carol Vadney, did you have any issues with any other players you know where it was a that you were uh, teammates with
2: yeah uh, well normally if if somebody used their stick on me, I would punch them in the head you know I didn't like to use my stick. So if somebody slashed me or cross-checked me, I would drop my glove and boom, you know. It tended to buy me a little more, more room. A lot of guys thought, we better not do that to this guy. Uh, so I was playing in a scrimmage against Pye McKenzie, and he he got his stick up pretty high and clipped me across the shoulder, and I turned and saw that it was Johnny McKenzie, and he was about half my size. uh, So I'm not going to do anything about that. And then later in the scrimmage, I've got the puck, and uh, no, Bobby Orr had the puck, and he's, you know, how he he could maneuver. Well, I'm chasing him down. He turns to his right, and I take my right hand and start jamming his right elbow. So then he turns to his left, and I take my left hand, And now I still have my right hand over here. I've got the stick in my hand, but I start jamming his left arm. And Bobby's a smart guy. He knows that my right hand is here, my left hand is here, my jaw is wide open. <laughs> he came back with an elbow, just about knocked me out. You know. But I said, lesson learned. You know, don't leave yourself wide open like that. And that's Bobby Orr. I'm not going to do a thing. <laughs> I did so, it with him. No, the third one. Uh-huh. Uh Yeah. Carol Badney, uh, I we we were playing scrimmage, and I came in and fell uh, as a play was made on on his net. He was playing D against me. The play reversed and started heading down towards my goal. I'm picking myself up off the ice. He's defenseman. He's just behind me, and I'm just on all fours getting up, and he shortened up on his stick and cross-checked me right on the back of the neck sent me face first back onto the ice. So, and then he followed the play. So, by the time I caught up to him, he was just over center ice. And I'd left my gloves back in the end zone. And, uh, uh, you know, I tuned him up pretty good, because it was a real vicious play that, that uh, what he'd just done. And, you know, I, I needed to make some sort of statement so that these guys wouldn't take any more liberties.
1: And was that pretty much the only time that you had an altercation, either in, or like training camp, somebody coming in and trying to make a name for themselves and go after you?
2: Well, I, I had that little scrap with Derek.
1: Right. Um, but, uh, no, that was about it. How about you, Chris, on any of the teams? Um, no. Uh, it's just training camp stuff
0: like uh, Jeff Rubaker came into training camp and stuff like that. And I'd fight, but not with teammates. I have one incident with a teammate, Stefan Richet. He was a rookie and, um, he was kind of floating in practice, you know, not pushing it. And we're, we're scrimmaging. And I ran him in the corner and knocked him flat in his ass. And he was pissed off. And I was going back up the ice. And he came by and he gave me the stick. He didn't hit me with it, but he just missed me. And I fucking gave him a two-hander right in the back of the knee. And he went down. And then everybody come in and, you know, and then <laughs> I almost got... Serge told me, he said, I almost sent you home on that road trip because of that. But when I find the, all the the circumstance, I decide to keep you with the team. Because he thought it just, it was for nothing, you know? Yeah, yeah. But it was, you know, it, that's that's what started it. So I, anyway, that was the only time. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Raw Knuckles Podcast. Please like, follow, and subscribe.